When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. So hi, hello to Kristen Larson. Hi, Mel. Thank you for having me. You're one of my favorites. I mean, when when I bring somebody back, that's a sign that I loved our first interview. And I did love our first interview. And um, it was uh, one of the best read, uh, best listened to, best watched uh, interviews I've done. And here we are again. And I'm in Israel and you're somewhere between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Yes, where and, it's very and, um, wet and wintry. And uh, yeah, so welcome to the, um, let's see if I get it right, the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network, which I am fortunate to host. And I am fortunate, as you can imagine, to interview this wonderful author. Kirsten, you have a new book out and we're celebrating. Yay, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Show everybody the book. Oh, yep. That, that so, was the prompt. You know, I, you have a oh, new sorry, sorry. <laughs> we'll do it again. We'll do it again. Kirsten, <laughs> we're here to celebrate your new book. Hooray. All right. Here it is. Woo. All right. Um, this is The Fire of Stars. Um, it's the life and brilliance of the woman who discovered what stars are made of. Um, it is illustrated by the amazing Catherine Roy, which is why you see this gorgeous um, cover. Or if you're uh, not watching us, you know, you can go check it out wherever you buy books. Um, this is from Chronicle Books. And um, what makes this book unique is it's two stories being told at the same time. So it's the story of um, astrophysicist Cecilia Payne, um, Gaposhkin after she married later in her life. Um, And it's also the story of how a star is born. And those two stories are told side by side simultaneously on um, every spread with a linking line of text that unites the two stories. So it's a book that can be read a number of different ways. Wonderful. And now is the time to open the book for our watching audience. <laughs> okay, watching audience. Okay, we also have a yeah. podcast. The, the people who can't see the book, it's it's a marvelous book. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's so well written. Run out and buy it today. 
yeah. So that, um, and you can, you know, it's, you can see it wherever books are sold, but for those who are watching, um, what you'll notice is on every two page spread, um, you'll see the star story and you'll see, um, Cecilia's story, her formation as a scientist. And then, um, on each spread, there's like this linking line of text. So, for young readers, maybe they just read this short line of text and you can read that all across the book or you can read um, Cecilia's story, right? You can read the additional information that pertains to Cecilia. And it's like that on, on every single spread. So the stories are united and um, they're following the same, the same arc. So, I mean, Catherine, I just can't even tell you how glorious her work is on this book. And she also has some great resources for like helping kids make some of these um, star designs that she created. She shares and um, shares her process for that. So anyway, it's just, it's a really cool book. Two stories, multiple stories in one, two stories. And lot, lots of back matter that parents yes. and librarians love. Yes, because I mean, somebody once asked me like, you know, what did you have to leave out of this book? And in reality, um, I left out pretty much Cecilia Payne-Gaposchkin's entire career, because what I was most interested in 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 this book was her formation as a scientist starting with her curiosity as a child and her persistence so we end i end the story essentially with her um dissertation which she wrote it was a groundbreaking dissertation which she wrote at the age of 25 um and then she had an entire career at harvard <laughs> that spanned decades but i left all of that out because i was just interested in her focus on this thrill of discovery and finding something new. So the back matter um, is where you get to learn um, the rest of the story. So, you know, there's a whole timeline of her career um, and her life that ends um, with her death in 1979. And um, you'll find things like kind of little thumbnails um, I go through and talk about like how a star is born using the thumbnails and lines of text from each page and then elaborating on that process. And of course, there's like an author's note, which talks um, a little bit about her discovery and um, her work. So she, she, yeah, was a lots of back matter. she was a contemporary of Einstein. Yes. And in fact, um, you know, she was one of her pivotal moments was um, she went to see a lecture by Arthur Eddington, who um, essentially was kind of proving Einstein's theories um, with some a solar eclipse project that he was working on. And when she went to that lecture, um, that was sort of her first introduction to this whole idea of astrophysics. Um, and that really, you know, she was always interested in the natural world, but she was on a sort of bio biology life science track. And then when she saw, when she heard that lecture, um, you know, she says she wrote down every word of the lecture from memory. Um, and that is when she was introduced to astrophysics and she was like, this is it. And she, you know, she switched her studies um, to focus on that. And that was really sort of a, a pivotal moment for her but, you know she she helped create a field that really didn't exist uh yes you know, you, yes you talk about astrophysics but it, it really wasn't until uh until right. her, her era and she 
she uh, starred. You like that? I like that. She, yeah, she started back <laughs> in the day uh, when women were not given PhDs. I mean, it's crazy. Well, she Looking. couldn't even get, yeah, I mean, she could, she did not, yeah, I mean, they have their own little degree structure, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's just so fascinating, you know, and even then she, you know, she worked at Harvard for years and I mean, she had these, you know, I don't remember the exact titles, but she had like, you know, lecturer type titles, you know, and it was forever until she became a full professor of astronomy and then was named, um, you know, department chair. So yeah, I mean, it was a different, it was a different era, but we're in women's history month, right? So what a great opportunity to celebrate some of these um, unsung women in all sorts of fields. Okay. One of the great things about her and and your book is that, um, whether she was a woman or a man, she had a, a great discovery mm-hmm. uh, that was trashed at the beginning. Right. So I don't want to go into, I don't want to make this an interview about uh, Cecilia Payne, but um, <laughs> just a few, a few, a few words about um, trashing people's ideas at the beginning. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, she had, she was following the trail of evidence, which is what scientists are supposed to do, right? You, you follow the evidence and her evidence basically said, you know, stars are mostly hydrogen and helium. And guess what? You know, these are the most abundant um, chemicals in our entire universe, but conventional thinking of the day was, well, stars must be a lot like earth. You know, they must have a lot more of these earth minerals. And so she would, this goes back thousands of years. Yeah. Yes. And and, so, and, and Copernicus <laughs> and Galileo, who believed that the that the sun was the center of the solar system. Right. So we we come to science with preconceived notions, you know. And so this this is a, and it's difficult always when there's a new idea that flies in the face of what we thought was true. But she's following the trail of evidence, and so basically, you know, they the conventional uh, scientists of the day were pretty much like this, this cannot be true. Um, You know, and then a few years later, they had to come back around and say, you know what, she was right. (laughs) She was right. Sadly, it took the famous astronomers of the day saying that before everybody believed her, but she was following the trail of, of evidence. So her advice you know, and everybody's advice is when, when you have, when you have a breakthrough and when you have the evidence, you need to stick to stick to your guns, essentially, like stick to, you know, stick to your convictions. Um, and don't be dissuaded by people who are telling you are wrong when you know, your evidence is right. But I think that also, you know, that also applies, um, for authors too, right? When we're trying to work. Hold on, hold on. So before we get to authors, <laughs> You reminded me. You reminded me of Thomas Kuhn and and, the, and paradigm shifts. Uh, that it's not enough to discover something. You also have to convince the the big uh, the big wigs in the scientific community that you're actually right, following the evidence. Um, now let's talk about. This is a good time. Now to segue to literature. 
Okay, but real quick before you say that, but but I think that is an imperative part of science is communication that people don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, a big part of science is how the science gets shared and and you know, convincing your fellow scientists, having them go back in and look at your work and if you know, if it's pertinent, replicate your experiments or whatever, that is such a critical piece of the scientific process that I think a lot of people don't necessarily, non-scientists don't Do, 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 do you realize how crazy this interview is? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was a scientist for 40 years trying to I know. be a children's <laughs> book writer. And you're so perspicacious and so knowledgeable about scientific discovery. And in our last conversation, you said a lot of things that resonate with me. A year later, you know, let the kids ask questions, go out and explore. This is what I teach my students and children. Well, and when I work with writers, this is what I teach writers, because I mean, this book would not have come together in this way if I hadn't stayed curious and continued to be open to new ways of thinking about my draft, because I did not, when I first wrote the draft for this book, Uh, this was your idea and not the editor. Oh, to tell the story in this way. Yeah. No, this, this is my idea. Wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) No, because, um, yeah, I mean, when I initially wrote this book, I wrote it using a very traditional um, three-act structure, just focused on Cecilia Payne, right? And in fact, my agent and I, we were just finalizing it to go out on submission, and it was just Cecilia's story. Um, But, you know, uh, then I had sort of a serendipitous moment, which was... um, at the time, I was working um, as a blogger on a blog called Subit Club, and we had a series called Query Letters That Worked. Um, and so a writer friend of mine, Hannah Holt, shared a query for her book, um, the, well, what came to be called The Diamond and the Boy. So this was 2017. Her book did not come out until 2018. I never had never seen the manuscript but she shared her query letter for the series and her vision for her book was different than how it turned out. But she had this idea of telling two stories, the story of making synthetic diamonds in a lab, you know, how diamonds are formed and how the scientist who created synthetic diamonds was formed as a scientist. And she had this idea of telling one story from the beginning of the book, one story from the back of the book, and they meet together in the middle with a shared line of text. So I saw that in her query letter and I was like, Ooh, this is interesting. Maybe I should start thinking about my story in a different way. And I thought, you know, I wonder if I could tell the story of Cecilia Payne and the story of star formation. But what kept resonating with me was this idea of a shared line of text. Um, And so I thought, could I have like a shared line of text on every page and tell the two stories at the same time on every spread? Um, So it was really serendipitous that I read her query letter and then it sparked me to think about you know my story in a new way at the 11th hour I was supposed to be going out on submission <laughs> and and it, it I, I love that it sparked your right Hannah has been on the show and she's wonderful and the story of the artificial diamonds are very close to her heart yes yeah she's got a family connection to Tracy Hall so absolutely her grandfather. yeah so um absolutely so um 
now th this is very strange because you know I I'm interviewing somebody who's so knowledgeable and keen on science. Um, and um, last year we had an interview. Uh, so we talked about the invention of uh, the airplane also by a woman. Um, but more intriguing for me was a nonfiction book you wrote about a fictional character. Yes, a true wonder. We talked about a true wonder. Yes, and, and, and so you have this ability to, to see things differently. And, and I'm guessing that you might have been a, a, a scientist and it's perhaps not too late. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think that's what I, I think I'm, I am not interested in doing the same old thing over and over again. You know, that, that to me, telling stories um, in a very traditional way is not that interesting to me. So, you know, I'm constantly interested in, in finding new ways to share stories. So in a true wonder, we used um, like a comic book type format, you know, and, and I, and it was interesting to me because it wasn't a biography of a person. As you said, it was sort of a biography of a fictional character um, and how they how Wonder Woman was created and how she came to mean so much to so many people. Um, so I think I'm always, you know, it ends up meaning that I have a very slow process. You know, I have a book right now that I have a picture book that I know there's something there and I've written and rewritten it um, so many different ways, but I can't let go of it. And I'm trying to find just the right sort of <laughs> different way of telling the story. <laughs> so, so let's go back to the submission process. Now, if you are an unagented writer and you're submitting something that's weird, goes from the front to the back, it's in English and Arabic at the same time, um, they meet in the middle, uh, one page is upside down. You have you can have tremendous trouble selling that concept to an agent who expects to get a linear a draft of a uh, picture book of less than 500 words. <laughs> uh, but but you, you were lucky to have an agent and you're also famous. Um, but still, how did you, how did you, how did the book look like on the page? How did the submission look like? Was this page split down the middle? Okay, so... Um... You know, I, I will say we are traditional, you know, we are told as authors um, not to include um, art notes, right? We're often told to leave the art to the illustrator, which is totally true. I mean, they have such amazing visual storytelling skills and you don't want to um, mess with their process. Um, but, you know, a lot of our job as authors is to make our vision clear. So often what that means for me is I have to write sort of a global note at the beginning of my manuscript that says, hey, here's my vision for the story. With a true wonder, it was, hey, I think this would be really cool told in comic, back, comic book format with panels. Um, for the Fire of Stars, it was, hey, I think um, what I would like to see is, you know, we're telling two stories on every spread, the star story and Cecilia's story with a linking line of text. Um, so a lot of my manuscripts contain a global illustration note. And then for this one, um, you know, it was just a, you know, a single word doc. I didn't put anything into into columns, but I did have illustration notes, you know, and I did say, 
you know, here's the, here's the line of text that applies to both stories. Here's what's happening with the star and here's what's happening in Cecilia's life. You know, I didn't get specific, you know, Kirsten, here's the question. mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Could you do this if you weren't agented, if you were just submitting, Um, you know, in our, in our previous um, talk, you uh, came out as one of the authors who, uh, who find, found an agent via the uh, slush pile. Of right. course, you had a wonderful biography, a history of writing dozens of books. And, uh, and so perhaps uh, any um, agent reading your, your bio w- would want to take you. And I remember the story of uh, you being transferred to Lori and, and her becoming, mm-hmm. your, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're um, right. <laughs> uh, but would that be like, would that be something you would submit? You submitted to Karen Weissman, I can't remember now. Um, and um, w- would you say to a, a, an author starting out, perhaps to submit something simpler because agents, if they look at your manuscript, they're gonna look at it for a couple of seconds at the beginning. Well, I mean, okay, I'm not, here, here's, what, here's what I would say. Your job as the author is to make your vision known. If you need to use, if you have like a more conceptual story or one that's reliant on a visual narrative that's not apparent from your words, you need to make your vision known. In my view, art notes are for the agent, they're for the editor. The editor, in fact, I don't even know if Catherine ever saw those notes. They may, a lot of times um, the editor needs the notes to see the vision um, and to help you achieve your vision. And then they very well may take those art notes out before they give the manuscript to an illustrator. So I like to think of the art notes as getting your vision across to the agent and the editor. They're not necessarily for the illustrator. Um, You know, and I like Tara Lazar's uh, thinking about art notes as action notes, right? So if there's something that's not apparent in your story that's taking place, um, an action that needs to be included, include it. But you don't need to see things like, you Mm -hmm. know, Cecilia Payne's dress is yellow, blah, blah, blah. All that to say, you know, if I were submitting now, I I would not shy away from submitting, you know, a conceptual story that requires a note about your vision, as long as you're, you can make your vision clear. That's, a, that's my, that's, per, that's my personal view, <laughs> but I am not, I am not counseling people on submissions. <laughs> in a sense, in a sense, you are, um, you know, we've had agents on the program. We've had editors on the program. I just came back from the SCBWI in New York and um, there's no, there's no uh, message one size fits all. So, well, and um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think people, you know, I think especially if you're writing biography, you know, there's, there are, we've had a lot of biographies. So I think you, I think if you're writing biography, you want to try something different. I think, I think editors want to see something um, distinct and different. I mean, I will say, um, the more I've been creative with um, my structure and things like that, those manuscripts have ended up being easier to sell, you know, or have sold in, in less time than mm-hmm. a more traditional manuscript. But Kirsten, it, it's you, you see, you are one of the, we had this discussion already. One in 3,000 manuscripts in a slush pile gets published. 
this isn't me saying this. This is Elizabeth Law quoting. Oh, yeah. It was done at Holiday House from another talk. Right. So one out of 3,000. And, and you're one of those 3,000 that were picked up from the slush pot. Um, so so in, in science, you know, you're, every author that I speak to is an outlier. And, you know, statistics don't work with outliers. <laughs> Uh, so, so what, whatever whatever you say that works for you is wonderful, and it's instructive. I want to ask you now a few more questions about the process of, the, of this book. Okay, sure, sure. Did did you help to pick the illustrator? Did the illustrator speak to you during the uh, during the illustration? Sure, sure. Did you I'm see sorry, the I illustrations? Have... Yeah. Okay. Real quick. Sorry. I have a I have an older I have a senior dog. <laughs> Was my, like my, going crazy. So my you audience, hear barking. My, yeah, I my audience, my audience loves barking dogs. <laughs> okay. Um, so we um, so this is this is a hard manuscript to um, illustrate, and it took us two years to find an illustrator. I do not know. You know, I don't know why different illustrators didn't take the project, um, but. It took us two years before Catherine Roy signed on to the project. Um, in terms of, did I have input? You know, I'm publishing with Chronicle and um, Chronicle makes beautiful, beautiful books. They have a really artistic sensibility. So I knew Melissa Manlove, our editor, would have... Um, tremendous, you know, vision for what, who the illustrate, who a good illustrator might be. Um, and so she, Chloe, I'm sorry, she's having a meltdown. <laughs> um, so, you know, she had tremendous vision. So when she said, I think Catherine Roy would be great for this project. Um, you know, I said, sure. You know, I, I'm very familiar with Catherine's work. So I said, yeah, you know, let's, let's get Catherine on board. Um, and Catherine, she writes and illustrates her own books. Um, she loves research. And so she went off and did her own research. I mean, she she got research from Harvard, you know, she and she does tremendous visual research. So she did her own research process. We, I communicated her, with her one time to check one fact, um, but she did all her own illustrations. I did see some of the preliminary dummies, um, but really my connection with her was only after we were done with the book and, and went to market it, so. She so was doing if, her own. She was doing her own. Yeah, her own work independently. So, so if, if you pick up the the uh, book, there there's a. Um, can you pick up the book and, and open a double spread, please? Sure. There's something incredible about her illustrations. Yeah. Um, and I I think that you I think that you answered first of all you answered um, your own question. You know you've given no don't go away when, when the <laughs> when the when the illustrator okay. sees. There's so much research done before they can grab, you know, pencil and, and a crayon and start to draw, or in this case, whatever techniques she used. Mm -hmm. um, so, some some artists just want to draw; they don't want to do the research. Um, okay, open it again. Open it again. <laughs> Mal, you're so funny. You're funny. Yeah, this is a good piece. Now, okay, hold hold on one second. I'm sh I'm shutting the door on this dog. Hold on okay. one second. Sorry, Mel. Right. It's all right. Um, I'm going to sing Havana Gila as I do when I run out of things to say. 
Hava Nagi Hava. Okay, you're back. So I'm um, sorry, my, my fluffy little my fluffy little dog has dementia and so she's having a moment. Okay. okay. So so one of the I, I don't know anything about, about artists and so on, but one of the things that struck me in this in this book is you know how we're instructed as authors to leave a lot of space uh, in picture books for the illustration. The illustrator creates the book as much as we do, sometimes more, right? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and what she's done, and I don't know anything about art, but I find this incredible, is that the artwork is very detailed, except for the facial expressions, which are minimal. And uh, for me, I don't know anything, but it says to me, this is like letting the the, the reader kind of invoke the face. Now, this Cecilia. is interesting. This is interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is Catherine's style. So if you look at her other books, like she has um, Otis and Will Discover the Deep with Barb Rosenstock, you know, she has a very loose um, style, you know. So yeah, but that's interesting. We have to have her on the show. Ask Catherine if she'll be on the show and we could both interview her. <laughs> well, she has a book out ne uh, next week. Another book. Well, let's do it. I mean, I, I booked till July, but you know, for, for you, <laughs> for you, I can make a special dispensation. Please ask Catherine. Um, All right. So, so, so this I find really intriguing. It's almost yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So kids Look can up. sort of see themselves in the yeah. What, I love it. Whatever, or, or fill out her, 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 fill out her face. Well, and the interesting thing, um, you know, it's Catherine and I have done some written, you know, some written interviews together and we did um, speak to some folks at Harvard one time, but, you know, she'll say for this, this book, she sort of had to come to a point where she could develop a whole new process for the stars because, you know, how do you draw a star for me? You really can't, you know? And so she had to use toothbrushes and make, you know, interesting marks and splatters trying to represent the feeling and the energy of, you know, a star forming. So it was kind of an interesting, we both had an, we have both had an interesting experience, you know, with uh, kind of creating things in a new way. And um, you have a, um, can you talk about your book coming out next year? Your concept book? Well, I have a couple of books, you know, I can't, I'm um, the announcement. Okay, I'm being mm -hmm. specific here. Mm -hmm. uh, this is how you know, it's already in the public uh, knowledge. Yes. Uh, can you share a few words about this book? Yeah, so I have a picture book coming out with Little Brown called This is How You Know. It will be um, illustrated by Cornelia Lee, who's amazing. Um, and I we call that book a lyrical love letter to science, um, starting with sort of this, you know, magic and wonder and curiosity. Um, and for me, you know, I think what I was sort of frustrated with was this very linear process that we teach children of um, the scientific method, you know, where you do experiments and you gather data and, and there's, there's no room for failure. There's no room for having to repeat steps when things don't work out, you know, or a new question comes up and you go off in a new direction. Um, so I think I wanted to sort of really give kids a sense of how science really works. Um, and 
So it's basically a free verse poem about how the scientific method really, really works. And but it's, um, you know, it's, it's lyrical, it's lovely, it's sort of wondrous. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna have to break the rules and have you on again next. Year. <laughs> but, but Kirsten, look, look how marvelous this is. You see, because you are, you are a scientific romantic. And as somebody who was a scientist for 40 years, I can tell you that um, people who are in the profession become very jaded and very dogmatic. Um, and, and looking back at my career, I, I was much more successful than I deserved to be. Um, and there's reasons for this, we won't go into them today, but um, because I'm interviewing you, but everything in science is mistakes and chance yes. observations and getting things wrong and baking the cookies backwards and blowing up a laboratory and tasting right. your, your finger because you want to flip a page and discovering saccharin. Um, and, and I agree with you. I'm, I'm your biggest proponent now. Well, that, but I that think science, I... science is, is not, a, it's, it's a haphazard process. Yes. Well, but I think what's interesting to me and why I write about this a lot is I feel like writing is the same way. I mean, I feel like making music is similar, you know, art, pro, you know, visual art process, writing process. I think, you know, I think a lot of times we tell people, are you left brain? Are you right brain? Are you scientific or are you creative? But I think what I see is we, we all share a similar process, right? To, to create something new, whether it's a scientific discovery, whether it's an airplane, whether it's a comic book character, you know, a picture book, we all go through a very similar haphazard process of trial and error and failure. And, you know, so for me, I think that's why I keep sort of writing about that over and over again is because I see what I do in that process as well. But, but you see, you're so so this is really interesting because I should I keep saying that, but it is uh, <laughs> truism, bad mail, bad um, avoid truisms in interviews. Um, it, 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 it's it's splendid because you're you we really are coming at writing like a scientist, yeah, because you, you're building, hold on, you're building on stuff that is known or considered to be known whether it's a biography of pain, whether it's the, um, a, the process that you're discussing now with me, whether it's the scientific method, right? And I, I'm taking exactly the, the opposite journey. I'm trying to get away from science. And, and, and we talked about this a year ago, and now I'm going to bug you about it because it's been another year. Okay, uh, go when, ahead. When, when are you going to publish a real fiction picture book that is not oh. based on Wonder Woman, that's not based on um, uh, stars, it's not based on Cecilia Payne. I'm now throwing it up to you. Um, you know what? I mean, I, I don't really have one. I mean, what the picture book that I'm struggling with right now, I have written it um, both as nonfiction and um, a fictional book that illustrates the concept I'm trying to get across. Um, and when I've shared it with my agent, she's like, no, I think the nonfiction, <laughs> I think the nonfiction approach is better. So, um, but she's yeah. not looking, she is, she's looking at what is qualitatively better or what she can sell. Because I think this, I'm going to have Melissa Stewart on the show in a couple of weeks mm -hmm. and we're going to have a very nice 
friendly argument. Yeah, she's great. Okay, go ahead. About fiction versus nonfiction. Mm -hmm. I think that it's easier to sell nonfiction. Um, what do you think? Okay, I don't want to answer that question. Here's what I want to answer about that. But again, like I, so I am working on a middle grade fantasy, right? So I am writing, it's historical fiction fantasy, right? I've been working on that for a year, a novel, um, which is hard and new for me, which is why I'm so slow with it. But I think, you know, personally, I think they're again, sort of like scientists and writers or creators, you know, artistic creators. I think we have fiction and nonfiction, I think there, we have more in common, there's more in common with that than different, right? We just arrive, we're trying to share a truth, but we're sharing it in a different way. In fiction, there's a lot of emotional truth. And in nonfiction, it's a lot of sort of factual truth. But, you know, we're both trying to share some kind of truth. We're just coming at it a different, a different way. So I guess I don't see that much different between fiction and nonfiction? Let me tell you the difference. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Because people ask me, why did you leave a scientific career after 30, 40 years and want to write all kinds of complete fiction about a goat who wants to pitch in the major league? Um, and there, there's a reason. Because scientists look for a truth. You call it a physical truth. Okay? Fiction writers look for everything except the truth. The truth is boring when you're writing fiction. But but I think it's an you're looking for an emotional truth, right? You're looking well, that, for... that that's beautiful. So you're yeah. looking for an emotional truth. But the other thing uh, that I want you to consider, and we'll talk about this next year if you don't want to answer me in the meantime, is that as a scientist, you are charged with trying to understand the world as it is. Right. When you're writing fiction, you're trying to understand the world as it isn't. You create a world. When you create no, a character, but... one second, hold on, I'm on a roll. Okay. Here. <laughs> okay. When 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 Wonder Woman was created, she didn't exist. Now I'm going to shut up. Well, no, but I, you know, I think in some in some of writing fiction, even if you're creating a world and you're creating fictional characters you're still trying to, you're still wrestling with the world and how it is on an emotional level, you know, not with the specifics of the characters in the world, but you're still, you know, you're still wrestling with real world themes and real world issues um, and feelings that we all have. And, and that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about an emotional emotional truth. So even in a very fictional world with magic or unicorns or whatever, at the end of the day, you're going to have some kind of a theme or a takeaway that's, so, that's an emotional truth that is true. It's just a different, you know, a different type of truth. But all that to say, I am not currently working on um, fiction picture books. I am working on a middle grade historical fantasy. So that's fiction, but I, I'm not working on a picture book links fiction don't ask that's me why, why. <laughs> well, i don't we, know why we need some we need some stuff to discuss next year well okay. i mean i have i have two books i just don't you know it's so hard to know exactly when they're mm -hmm. going to land i have two I, books I, in the pipeline maybe it, it, we didn't talk much about this last time but i did ask you what you were like as a five six year old um you know i have this theory 
that people who write for very young children are stuck at that age, that oh, something happened to okay. them, uh, that essentially, um, I'm an old Jewish guy, but in my heart, I'm a five-year-old in Ottawa. Um, and I write to my five-year-old self. Do you write to your five-year-old Kirsten? Um, I don't think I write to my five-year-old Kirsten, but you know, I do think in sort of another lifetime, you know, I was very interested in science. I mean, I, re I remember writing a paper in the ninth grade about neutrinos, right? When neutrinos was like a fairly, I don't know, not, you know, particle physics, whatever. Um, but I think, you know, I think I had this conception that to be a scientist, you know, you had to be a certain way. You had to be really brilliant at math and, and all of these things. And so um, I was very interested in science, but I think I also had this impression that I couldn't do science. And because, so because I, one second, because you were a woman, because why? Well, no, I just, I just thought, you know, I think I thought that you had to be very brilliant in math and in your science courses. As I've come to write about science, what I've learned is you don't have to be brilliant. You know, you have to be able to, to do a certain amount of the math, but the math is actually, you know, for a lot of people, the math is not a significant, you know, my husband's an engineer. Does he remember everything about calculus? No, but he knows enough. He remembers enough that he can do his work. So I think part of it for me is I want, um, I want kids to be encouraged. I want them to not be discouraged because they look at Einstein, right? Who is truly, you know, wow, a brain, you know, how do you, how do you do that? But we don't all have to be, if you're interested in science and engineering, you don't have to be like Einstein, right? So I want kids to be encouraged and know that their curiosity and wonder and persistence and perseverance mm -hmm. is enough and that they could they could do this, you know, they could do science, they could do. Okay, Kirsten, right, one second. So this is so. Are are you talking to yourself here? Yes, I mean it's because, it's a, because yeah. you if, if there were another Kirsten mm -hmm. uh, who was able to reach you, then perhaps you would have realized that you could have been a scientist. And I'm guessing that you would have been a marvelous scientist because well, you, you. <laughs> you 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 have well because you're so creative. I I. I agree so much with your contention that it's all the same science and music and the, and 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 writing are dabbled in all of them and it's the same creative process but it's what i call thinking between the boxes taking things that shouldn't be connected you know like what you've done you know having uh, the stars uh, together with the lady who discovered what they were made of right and this is what scientists do so maybe you are I don't want to be a, a psychologist, but maybe you're comfort, <laughs> comforting, comforting another Kirsten. And, yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, there, in our alternative universes, I'm sure there is mm -hmm. one where I'm a scientist. Yeah, or no, listen, you, you, you taught me something. You always teach me things. This, um, I wish you lived in the same town. We could have coffee. Um, this, this idea of looking for an emotional truth is so beautiful. So um, I'm going to urge you to think about that a little bit more too, because if writing fiction is looking for the emotional truth, and maybe this is what I'm trying to do after, after 35 years of trying to look for the physical truth, right? 
then um, you should be able to say I'm a big girl now. You know, enough writing about science and the scientific process. I should be writing more about the emotional truth. And perhaps this book that's coming out next year, which I can't wait, which is called This Is How You Know, um, may address that. And if not, I'm going to bug you every year until you... Well, well, Mel, I'm writing a novel. Like yes. So, so for me, but like for me, I guess when it comes to emotional truths, right? I want a bigger stage, right? I want a richer tapestry. So I don't so want yeah, to maybe, maybe, do that maybe in a picture book. I want to do that in a novel. No, okay. But the novel is for what age group? It's middle grade. Okay. So middle grade is what, eight to 12? Eight to 12. Mm -hmm. Okay. So maybe that's where you're stuck. Maybe that's the emotional truth, Kirsten, that you're addressing. So I, <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't wait to see that. Is there anything else we haven't touched upon? Um, I, you know, I don't think so. I just um, always want to let people know that there are resources um, on my website. So if you, you know, if you've enjoyed the discussion that we have, um, Catherine and I put together some teacher tips um, with discussion points that you can have teachers or or parents can have with their kids. Um, those are on my website, which is kirstenwlarson.com. Um, and you'll find more resources um, for the book, all kinds of uh, scientific activities. And then I'm on social media everywhere at Kirsten W. Larson. Um, and I love to interact with um, readers and writers. And you are marvelous. Uh, you're, the, you're by far the most popular interviewee that I've had. Um, and when I grow up, Maybe we'll write a book together. And, <laughs> that would and, be fun. And I will be, I will be a scientific raccoon on one side <laughs> of the page. And you'll interview me about science. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think we gotta have to do that one as a graphic novel. I, I'm feeling that one as a graphic novel. I'm, I, you know, you're the one who's successful here as a writer, not me. <laughs> Well, this is always a blast. I love that we get to go into so many different areas. It's always fun. Kirsten, I can't help it. And I, I really think that that's how innovation and creativity happens. Yes. The more boxes you have to throw around and think in between, uh, the more chances you have of coming up with something special. You're a very special guest on the show. Um, but we've uh, been going now for three quarters of an hour. I think that this one was much better than our last one. What do you think? <laughs> All right. Yay. I'm glad we succeeded. No, but you think this is a better interview than last one? I don't know. I haven't listened to our other interview for a while. Ah, sure it, was, both... it was great, too. Ah, okay, here's to next year. So <laughs> this has been a wonderful interview with the amazing Kirsten Larson, who has a new book just out, The Fire of Stars. Yes. The, ta the, the double, double barrel tale. That's right. Two stories in one. And and it's 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 like you buy one book and you get two stories. Exactly, for same two for price. the price of one. Mm -hmm. With so much back matter and so much science, and 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 really, um, I wouldn't say like bringing to life a really important scientist that um, is sometimes forgotten. And congratulations on so many things that you do, Kirsten. And um, until we write our book together, this is Mel Rosenberg for the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network, what a mouthful, uh, saying thank you very much. Run out and buy Kirsten's new book. It's everywhere. And uh, I can't wait until our next interview. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Kirsten. Ah, you have to, don't forget to speak to Catherine. 
we'll both interview her. All right. Sounds good. I'll let her know. Absolutely. Well, don't let her know. Maybe you should ask her first. Hi, you know what? You're right. Just let her know. Mel, you know, you're on, you're on this. What, what are you doing next Thursday? You know what? I'll email you and connect you both. Wonderful. This was wonderful. I don't want to leave you, but I have to. Thanks so much, Kirsten. Bye, Mel. Bye, everybody.